0: All right, so we started a series last week called Blockbusters. Uh, Andy kicked it off, and he highlighted the movie Hacksaw Ridge, which is one of my favorite movies. Come on, who likes Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah, It's kind of a gruesome movie, but it has an amazing message. Um, But that term, Blockbusters, is actually a term that was used in the 40s to talk about an aerial bombing that would destroy a city block. So it was a blockbusting raid, so to speak, and that's where the term started. But in the 70s, the entertainment business and, and specifically the film industry said, why don't we grab that word and we'll use it as well. And they use it to describe these movies that were over the top cinematic that had all these special effects that people left the theater with kind of like the, that was amazing. I need to see it again. That idea. You know, I don't know. I see movies a couple times if they're really good, if they're really, really good. And that's what a blockbuster was and referred to in the 70s. The great thing for us is sometimes we come to church and we think, okay, great, there's going to be some singing, and Then this guy's going to get up and talk, and I might fall asleep, and this could be a long hour. <laughs> the Bible is full of blockbuster truths for us to unpack. and So that's my goal, is to keep you guys engaged, not asleep, and highlight a truth that we find in the Bible. And before I do that, I have to reveal to you the movie which I will show a clip from, and the movie which I love. It's Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Who in here has seen one of the Lord of the Rings movies? Come on, this is amazing. You guys are really amazing people for that reason. Who has seen them, the extended editions, all of them? Who has seen the extended, extended editions? They don't have that, I'm just kidding, guys. They should make one, though. I would buy it and watch it, all of them. They're they're like three and a half hours long, so you need to devote a, a day of your life to watch them, but you will not regret it. So if you haven't seen them, your homework is to... Forget anything I say and watch Lord of the Rings and let that speak to you because it's just a powerful movie but the scene I'm going to show us involves three characters specifically uh, the, the main two are Sam and Frodo now Sam and Frodo are hobbits Hobbits are essentially small people in the world of Lord of the Rings and they are on a mission to take this ring of power hence the Lord of the Rings and destroy it this ring corrupts anyone who comes in contact with it and They're taking it to destroy it. Well, they've been captured by this man named Faramir because he wants to take the ring back to his kingdom and use it to basically exploit the power and make the kingdom of of man the most powerful in the world. Well, this villain named Sauron also wants the ring back. It actually was originally his, and he's trying to get it back from these, these two hobbits, Sam and Frodo. And so our scene we're about to watch is Sam and Frodo are in, in kind of a tussle, Frodo almost just gave the ring back to Sauron, the villain, because, it, again, it corrupts his heart, and it makes you do things you don't really want to do. So he almost handed it back, and then Sam, being the, the great friend that he is, tackles him. They fall down some stairs. Frodo, in all the commotion, has pulled his sword out and has his sword up to Sam's neck, and that's where we pick up in our scene. Let's roll the quick. I'm going to get the lights, too. It's me. It's your Sam. Don't you know your Sam? this um I know it's all wrong by rights we shouldn't even be here we are it's like in the great stories mr. frugal the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. Of our country. The laws of your father. If you let them go, your life will be forfeit. And it is forfeit. Release them. All right. Isn't that an amazing scene? Come on, even if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, it's still a powerful scene, right? You see Frodo ready to give up. Right, And then you see Sam with this amazing speech encouraging him, saying, hey, you can do this. There's still something worth fighting for. And then my favorite part, which is kind of the low-key part at the end, is Faramir, this man who was power-hungry, wanting honor, hoping to bring the ring back to his kingdom. He literally says, I understand you, and I would give my life to see your mission fulfilled. Those are the kind of friends that I want in my life. I don't know about you guys, and so this morning I'm going to highlight uh, the the power of love and community as we open the Bible together. Seriously, go watch the rest of that movie. It's amazing. I can't say that enough. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to read four verses and focus on three of the verses, and I want to give us some context to the, the book we're about to read. The book of Ephesians is actually a letter written by a man named Paul. He's an apostle, or an early church leader, if we're looking at it in that context for what we are today. He's actually in prison in Rome, writing this letter to the Ephesians. Now, the Ephesians are just the people of the city of Ephesus, and Ephesus was an influential city where most people worshiped and followed the the goddess Artemis. And there was actually a temple uh, built to honor Artemis in Ephesus. That's one of the seven ancient wonders of the, the world, seven wonders of the ancient world, excuse me. And so people in Ephesus attributed their wealth and prosperity to the goddess Artemis. But God was on the move, and people were actually turning from Artemis to follow this man named Jesus. This guy, he walked the earth and claimed to be the son of God, and he said, that, I'm going to save everyone. And then he gets crucified on the cross so everyone's like well that didn't work but then his 12 closest followers about two weeks later 40 days later start saying that jesus who said he's going to save the world he actually is alive he he rose from the grave i know it sounds crazy we didn't believe it either but he appeared to us and so this message of jesus saving people actually began to get some credence And so people in Ephesus are starting to believe this message. We call it the gospel, the good news, that Jesus would save us from ourselves. And they're turning from Artemis to follow Jesus. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage the people who have walked away from Artemis and are walking toward Jesus. It's hard when you're only one of a handful of people believing something in an entire city. What if only five of us in here believed that the Carolina Tar Heels were the greatest basketball team on planet Earth? Yes, sir, they are. That would be hard for me as a fan, but I would still overcome. This is what they're going through as a people in Ephesus. So Paul wanted to encourage them, and I love that he's in chains, and he's writing to encourage them. I don't know about you guys, but I would be like, hey, dudes, get me out of prison. I've been shackled for like two weeks now. The food is terrible, and my guards smell. I need some help. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3. 16 and 19, go ahead and turn there in your Bible, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump in. I need to turn there in my own Bible. All right, God, thank you so much for a moment just to take a deep breath in the week and give you time to speak and give ourselves time to listen. God, we live in one of the busiest cities in the world. Traffic is terrible. God, we need you in a lot of ways in Atlanta. But, God, in this moment, on this Sunday morning, we have a chance to slow down and receive what you have to say to us this morning. So I pray that my words are not my own, but they're your words, Father, and that people would hear your heart for them, that you love them so much that you would send your only son, Jesus, for them. So, God, we come this morning for no other reason than to worship you, listen to you, interact with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Ephesians 3. I'm going to read 16 through 19, and then we'll start, start breaking it down. Sound good? You guys feeling good? Yes. Cool. Come on. I love getting some feedback. You're, feel free to give me feedback if you want. No booze though. Only, only positive feedback. All right. Uh, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Powerful words written from a man in prison, praying for other people, and there are some great truths in those few verses that I want to pull out. I'm going to pull out three kind of subpoints and sub are not really sub-truths, but sub-points to then highlight my main point that I'll introduce at the end, kind of the blockbuster truth that I want to highlight. If you're taking notes, um, the title of this message is Filled with the Fullness. Filled with the Fullness. I always say that because I like to kind of keep track with where we're going. So um, if you say that 10 times fast, just go ahead and try it. It's hard. Filled with the fullness. Filled with the fullness. Okay. Um, The first point, the first truth I want to highlight that will again lead us to our main point at the end that we can get from this passage is that Jesus himself, Jesus, turns hearts into homes. Jesus turns hearts into homes. If we look at verse 16 going into 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. There's a lot there. We're kind of leaving that alone. But I want to highlight this next half of verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We don't use the word dwell very often. At least I don't. You want to come to my dwelling. We don't say that a lot in this day and age, right? But the word to dwell means to make home. So Jesus comes and makes a home in your heart. Well, how does that happen? It's when we invite him in through something called faith. So I wanna focus on that word faith. The Bible gives us a definition for the word faith, which is very, very helpful when we're processing what this is. It's being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. We find that in Hebrews 11.1, if you wanna write that down, but being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. We all put faith in something. Even if you're in this room and you don't believe in God and you wonder why you're sitting in a purple, I mean a blue purple, a blue chair that's very uncomfortable and, and during the service. We all have faith in something. It can be a spouse to be there for you, a friend to be there for you. It can be in a band. You know their music's gonna be great. You have faith that it's gonna be a great record, their next release. For me, I mentioned this earlier. I have faith in the Carolina Tar Heels, that every year in basketball, they're gonna participate in the national championship game and win which we did this past year. The year before that, my faith was a little weak. Obviously, we lost in the last shot. But moving forward, I always have faith that we have a chance to compete. That's maybe a a silly example, but we all find faith in something. And in this scripture, Paul is saying, in order to receive Jesus into your heart, there's only one thing you have to do, and that's have faith. Other world religions, other people, you have to work to be good. You have to work to receive something, right? We don't deserve it unless we have earned it. But the message of the gospel was actually very opposite of that. You only have to do one thing, and it's not really even like exerting force, but it's having faith in someone, and his name is Jesus. And, and, And this message is a powerful one, that God as a father, the Bible calls God a father, he sent his only son, Jesus, to actually pay the price for all the wrongs that we have ever committed. I don't know about you, but my, my life is not mistake-free at all. It's actually mistake-laden all over the place. Jesus came to pay the price for all the wrongs that we have committed. And he did that by being what's called an adequate sacrifice, where he walked out of his throne, off his throne in heaven, came down to earth, became fully man, but also fully God, lived a perfect life, and then was unjustly crucified, as in nailed to a cross, because again, he was paying for what we deserved, our wrongdoing. And then the message of the gospel is that this Jesus rose from the grave, and if you have faith in him, he then will come and make your heart a home. And something that's very compelling about the gospel message, Jesus again had 12 followers, I mentioned that, 12 disciples, he had much more than that, but 12 close friends that were with him for three years. They saw his whole life, and he claimed, I'm gonna save the world, I'm gonna redeem the world, I'm gonna do what I was sent to do, and they're all, yes, you're gonna do it. And they actually thought he was gonna overthrow the Roman government and bring in a new government, and then Jesus gets crucified. And you know what the guys do? They're not like, yeah, he's gonna come back from the dead. They all scatter and they hide, because they're like, well, I guess when you're dead, you can't save the world. I don't know if you've seen superhero movies, but no superhero dies and then saves the world, really, unless you're Jesus in this case. But he raises back to life, and his disciples have an encounter with him. And from those 12 men, we now have two billion people who believe in Jesus. That is a miracle. From 12 people, two billion came, right? And that's because people can actually today encounter the living God if you just put your faith in him. There's nothing more worthy of our faith than Jesus himself. Then he'll come in and turn your heart that is ultimately vacant with the things that you've tried to put in it and make it his home and show you what true, not that true happiness is the goal of the gospel, but it will show you what true happiness is even in suffering because you have an eternal goal that you're working toward. Your life is not just 80 years, 90 if you're lucky. It's actually eternity as you follow Jesus. Does that make sense? So Jesus turns your heart into a home. And I'm going to give us a chance at the end to respond to the gospel And if you have not received Jesus or put your faith in him to do that, but I wanted to make that very clear. This is what he's done for us and that is the power behind the message, life change, that your heart would become a home. All right, the second idea I wanna highlight is that you cannot survive on your own. You cannot survive on your own. We saw that in the clip, right? Frodo would have been killed if Sam had not tackled him. I know that sounds kind of ironic but he was about to hand over this ring and he would have been killed for it, but Sam saved his life. He would not have survived on his own. The same is true for us as human beings on this earth and especially those of us who have faith in Jesus. I'm getting this point from, from verse 17. In the second half, after again, Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, it says that I pray, and Paul is writing this to the Ephesians, that you being rooted and established in love, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That word love in the Greek, Greek is a lot, a lot more eloquent in its word choice. There's, I think, five or six words for love in, in Greek. That word there in the original Greek in the New Testament is the word agape. You may have heard that before, but the word agape means the love of God specifically. And so Paul is saying that you would be rooted and established in the love of God. And so we can't be just rooted in ourselves, trying to do what's best for us. We actually need to be rooted in God himself and his love. We cannot do this on our own, first and foremost, because we need Jesus to be able to make it through this life and reach, ultimately, eternity with him in heaven. And then we go on to verse 18, that we may have power together with all the saints. So we're rooted in love, rooted in God and his love and that we would have power together with all the saints. That's a very important piece, because in addition to Christ in our lives, him dwelling in our hearts, we also must live in relationship with other people. Again, Frodo, even with Faramir, right? He has a change of heart and will lay his life down for the mission that they are on. There, there is a dynamic of relationship. I know for me, there is a this is, this will be a, a funny story for some of you guys if you haven't heard it. But for me, there was a real moment in my life where I experienced the love of other people. Five, to be exact. And this is how my wife and I actually met. So you'll get a little personal story this morning. Um, I was a sophomore in college at UNC. Come on, it's three references to UNC this morning. I'm doing so well. Um, A sophomore at UNC. And I had just started going to our campus chapter of Every Nation at UNC. So, again, we have churches in 70 nations and also campus ministries with those churches. Come on, KSU students in the room. Let's go. Campus chapter here is amazing because Jared and Katie are amazing and Jesus is even more amazing. So, UNC campus chapter, Every Nation. This is my second meeting. And I think this is the second person I met in Every Nation. His name is Utibe. Call him Udi from Nigeria. Yudi looks like Wayne Brady, but he's like jacked, like mus- muscle man, I, and UD is amazing. I don't even know why I told you that, but that just helps you picture UD. UD introduced me to Cali, and this is why. I, I, I went up to UD, I was leading the music at my church where I grew up at the time. And I said, UD, I, I don't have any female vocalists at our church, and I wanna do some songs that are female led. Do you know anybody who would wanna help out in Maybe get some experience leading worship or or singing on stage or whatever. I'm kind of I just need a female voice. Yeah, I think I have a a person that would love to do that. Her name is Callie. I'll connect you guys. It's like okay, cool. Callie sounds she sounds nice. It's a nice name. (laughs) So (laughs) we first meet at our first rehearsal for that Sunday morning, and um, we were in a rehearsal room at UNC and. She came in, and I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like, oh, wow, Callie is pretty. <laughs> this, is, this is not an inconvenience, but this could be hard to focus. <laughs> so we start rehearsing the songs, and she, she's got an incredible voice. You've never heard my wife sing. I hope that that blessing happens to you one day. Um, but she's incredible. And what's even more amazing than just her talents is her heart for God. And that was very evident the first time I met her. It was like she didn't even, I, I wasn't even in the room, you know? Like, I mean, she cared about me as in, like, he seems like a nice guy. I'm helping him out. But she was so focused on worshiping God. And as we rehearsed the songs focusing on him, I was like, I'm right here. Come on. Like we're So that being said, we had the, the Sunday service where we sang, and it went great. And I was like, okay, I think I need to ask her out. So I'm talking about like save by the Bell clips or like these movie clips where guys are in the mirror like, hey, Kyle, would you want to, like practicing my lines. I'm not even kidding. No shame. Like I'm not kidding. So I get the, cur- I, I was way more nervous to call her than I ever am to sing or speak on Sunday morning. I was a knot. And so I remember I called her and was like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed like seeing with you this morning. I would love to get to know you better. Would you want to go out to dinner sometime to get to know each other better? I was like, yes, I got it out. I made it. She said, sure, that sounds good. I was like, yes. I'm not rejected. I'm not rejected. Though my rejection is not, that's not, okay, that's another conversation. Um, so we went to dinner. And the great thing is we didn't call these dates, even though I wanted to, to move things forward. They were called just dinners. Because I remember after our first date, I said, so was that a date? She's like, let's just call it dinner for now. So that was our term, like, it's just dinner for now, you know? So we went on these. Three, three more dinner for nows, and um, after the third one, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like, I definitely have feelings for her. This has been way too quickly, way too quick for me. But I've got to call her and tell her where I am, at least, to be upfront and honor her. And so I, I called her. I said, hey, Callie, you know, again, I've really enjoyed our, our dinner for nows. They've been great. Our dates, and I definitely have feelings for you. They're continuing to grow. Are you in the same place? Like, are we on the same page? And, of course, Callie being amazing, she's like, well, you know, let me just a couple days, think on it, pray on it. I was like, pray on it. Come on. Like, you need to pray. So she took two days, and she, she prayed on it. Two days later, which felt like two years, by the way. I was, okay. We talk after one of our campus meetings with Every Nation and of course the whole meeting I'm like trying to sing the songs like god please 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 god you know I'm just praying for of course myself and my relationship with Callie and we talk afterwards and i was like, okay you know it's been 2 days and how are you feeling she's like well you know i really i enjoy hanging out with you but i just don't think this is going to move into a relationship cue the funeral music <laughs> And I said, well, okay, this is what every guy does, right? Did you just need some time? Or is this like a, a never thing? She's like, like a never thing. <laughs> oh, man, I'm telling you, I was, that was hard. It re- I, and I really mean that. That was hard for me. And she was so sweet in it and so honoring to me and not mean, but it still hit me like a ton of bricks, right? So here comes the five, pe- I, all that was just to get to my five people, right, that I mentioned earlier. I get back to my suite in college, five other dudes. They're like, man, how did it go, you know, how did it go? I was like, I mean, I know I'm not Brad Pitt, but come on, like, it was hard. And they said, man, it's okay, more fish in the sea. You'll bounce back, you know. Who knows, it may still work out. I'm like, it's not gonna work out, you know. And those five guys kind of served as my, with lack of a better analogy, my Dr. Phil's for like two weeks in their room, lying on their sofa with a pillow, Guys, I don't know what to do with my life. It's just heart so bad. Do you have any advice? Just get over it, dude. That's what a lot of them were saying. But they, they really did love me really well through that. And honestly, without my sweet mates, without other friends in my life, that would have been a really hard season. Now, obviously, I said, Callie is my wife of five years. We have two kids, so things have worked out. <laughs> Praise you, God. Yes, come on. Let's give God a hand clap for marriage. Yes. Yes and my wife is amazing, I love her, and now I give her a hard time about it because I was right. First time and only time, but I was right, Uh, and now we're married. But having people in your life will change your life, and you need relationship. So again, back back to the scripture, we're rooted in God's love, and we have others in our life to help us through those moments in life where we feel super down, and you may be here this morning at the lowest point, in your life. And I want you to know that you are in the right place. There's people here. I'm looking at Davis in the front row, oh, I love this guy. They love people so well, and they wanna love you so well, but they pale in comparison to how much God loves you. And so thank you for coming if that's where you are. I know my example is kind of trivial, but I, I did feel at a very low point in my life, even though it was only like two weeks, so I really got over it. But I know there's real weight that happens in life. Sometimes you, I come on Sunday, I'm over here, good morning, welcome to High Point Church, you know? And I'm smiling, like, guys, I know there's real baggage in life. And we bring it in on Sundays. But Jesus wants to take that baggage and lighten your load. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That is a great promise from God. So, Paul is praying about community. And then I want to highlight the specific community which he's mentioning, and that is the church, he says, together with all the saints. So we're rooted in God's love, Jesus, and we have community in our lives because we cannot survive on our own. And the church, that word has different meanings to a lot of us. It can, it can mean hurt and pain because you've been hurt by the institution of the church. But the church is God's plan to love and redeem the world. That was his idea. And so Jesus and the church are actually described as being in a marriage. The church is called the bride of Christ. The Bible also describes marriage as when two become one. When Callie finally came over, the fact that she was actually gonna date me, we got married, two became one. You cannot take Jesus without the church. It doesn't work that way. You can't take me without my wife. The two are one. So if you are to put your faith in Jesus, then you are inherently saying, I believe in the church and the mission that God has for the church. And so I encourage you this morning, if you do believe in God and you're rooted in his love, but the church is not something you want to associate with, let's recalibrate that thought and look at what God's plan was for the church. And the hurts that you've experienced, that's not God's plan. The bad things that you've seen, the condemnation from from church leaders on YouTube, I've seen some of those videos, it's crazy. That's not God's plan. His plan was to love the world through the church, and that's what we try to do here at High Point and a part of Every Nation. And I hope that every church tries to do that you encounter. So the church is important. Being rooted in Jesus is important because we cannot survive on our own. Then my last idea, before I get to my main point and we close, is that it's very eloquent, that God is huge. God is huge. That seems simple but it's so true and we get this from uh, verse 18 to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge I love the way uh, my name is Wesley full name and I'm named after John Wesley who founded the Methodist Church He didn't mean to it's kind of on accident but the denomination happened because of his mission efforts over here in the States. And in his personal journal, he describes God's love with these uh, facets we just said, this way, and I want, this is my paraphrase, but I wanna read this for you guys. God's love is wide. It's wide enough to embrace every human on planet Earth, past, present, and future. God's love is long, from everlasting to everlasting, knowing no end. God's love is high, not to be reached by any enemy, and God's love is deep, not to be fathomed by any creature. God's love is so huge, God himself is so huge, that we cannot fully grasp his love. But Paul is praying that through community and through Jesus, we could begin to maybe start to grasp his love. The universe is, I think, 163 billion light years wide, That's what they say. That number means nothing to me, by the way. Light years, I don't know what that is. But if you take a ship at light speed, which I assume is faster than we've ever seen anything before, and fly across the the universe, it's gonna take you 163 billion years. That is crazy. And the God who created that is the God that loves you unconditionally. The God that holds that in his hands, he's the God that wants to hold you in his hands. And so understanding that God is huge, it, it, it brings you to a place of reverence, where you say, God, wow, you are majestic, you're incredible, you're magnificent. But then at the same time, God wants to draw into relationship with you and make his home in your heart, get you in a relationship with other people because he values love that much. So as we move into verse 19, and again, I begin to wrap, Paul begins to focus on knowing God and not just understanding him. And that's an important thing for us, that we need to know God and not just have ideas about him. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's an interesting statement, right? It's an oxymoron. To know a love that surpasses knowledge. The love of God the Father is not unknowable, but it cannot be fully known. The love of God the Father is, un- is not unknowable, but it cannot be fully known. And the beauty of that is you can spend your whole life, every second, every minute, every hour of every day of every week of every year with God, and you still won't know all there is to know about him. You still won't have experienced all there is to experience because he is so huge. His love, he surpasses our ability to comprehend and our knowledge. And what that does is it says, God, I'm gonna pursue you with everything and I know that you're never gonna leave me empty because you always have more to give. And that brings us to the last part of that verse and we'll, we'll wrap here again. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As we spend more time with God, and this is true with anyone, right? As we spend more time with people, we become more like them for better or for worse. As we spend more time with God, we become more like him, and he begins to fill us with more of himself. Again, Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have him in your heart. His home is here now. You have other people in your life, life, and you begin to experience God through those relationships, through that love, and you begin to look more like God himself. As he fills you again, this God who, who is infinite in every facet, he's infinite in his grace, in his truth, in his mercy, and his love, and his patience, he begins to put those in you, right? And that brings me to my main idea, that we can only walk in the fullness of God once we have invited Jesus into our hearts and others into our lives. We can only walk in the fullness of God once we have invited Jesus into our hearts and others into our lives. You can't just have one or the other, right? Without Jesus, there's no salvation. Without others, you're missing out on the fullness of God. That's important, the fullness. You will still have God in relationship with him, but to walk in the fullness, what Paul is praying for, for us here at High Point today, even though he wrote this 2,000 years ago, is that we would, walk in the fullness of who God is. So to recap, Jesus turns hearts into homes. We can't survive on our own. And the eloquent point, God is huge. But those three truths point to the main blockbuster one, that once we have invited Jesus into here and others around us, we then can walk in the fullness of God. And so this morning, we have three minutes left. I'm gonna end on time, I promise. Can we just bow our heads? I wanna give us a chance to respond to what we've heard today. If you're in this room this morning and you say, you know what? What Wes is talking about, I actually think it might be true. 12 dudes, now 2 billion dudes and gals who believe in Jesus. Man. That, that doesn't seem like a coincidence. If you believe that Jesus, like I said earlier, came for you to save you, to redeem you, so that he could have a relationship with you, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. So again, if you have never put your faith in Jesus before, if this is all new to you. I want to give you a chance to respond. So if you would, just lift your hand in the air. There's nothing magical about this. It's just declaring, God, I, I, I'm making a declaration. I believe in you. I, I put my faith in you. You're worthy. That's you this morning. Just lift your hand for me, and I'm going to pray for you. It's great. Anybody else? For the first time, you want to receive Jesus. Put your faith in this man who is perfect and loving, an amazing father. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you speak to us and that you're moving in this room. God, thank you that you make our hearts home to you. And Jesus, we we gather on these Sunday mornings for no other reason than to, to interact with you and encounter you. God, we could spend our whole lives in relationship with you, and still there's more to come. So I pray that the people this morning who have raised their hands, that they would continue to walk out their faith in you, would find people to put around them, to love them, to spur them on in their in their faith in you, Jesus. God, we love you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.